Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from Northside Pastor Ian Douglas. Hey, welcome to Vineyard Church Online. Thanks for tuning in. If I've not met you before, my name's Ian. I'm one of the site pastors of our Cardiff Northside, and I'm excited to be sharing this message with you today. Today I'm continuing our series in the Book of James, a series that we've called Real Faith. And today we're following on from where the sermon left off last week, in the second half of James chapter 2, which we'll look at in just a moment. But I want to begin by asking you a question. How is your faith? Now I don't know whether that's a question you've asked yourself recently. I think if we're honest it's probably a question that we avoid asking ourselves. But how is your faith? Do you feel like your faith is fully alive at the moment? Or do you feel like lately, perhaps you've just been going through the motions? We're in this series in the book of James, and at the heart of this book is an invitation to examine our own faith. And in these verses that we'll be looking at today, James really challenges us to consider what real faith looks like. And I think it's fair to say that understanding these verses is key to understanding the whole book of James. So let's read the passage. We're starting in... Uh, verse 14 of James chapter 2, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of them says, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of God and we believe that it is true. So Father, I just pray that right now by your spirit, would you help us to understand this passage? I thank you for these words and I pray that you would speak to us through them right now in this moment. Amen. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever written something that's been misinterpreted? In our house, I'm the one that does the supermarket shop every week, and that works for me. I love doing the food shop. And Soph and I have this small chalkboard in our kitchen, 
the, where we write anything that needs to go on the list for the following week. So every week I check the board and I add the items to my shopping list before heading out to the shop. Now one week, Soph had written soap on the chalkboard. So I wrote down soap on my list and headed out to the shop and when I finally got to the toiletries aisle, I picked up a bar of soap and crossed it off my list. Check. And I thought to myself, Soph's gonna be so happy with me because I've got the best. A luxury bar of Dove for smooth, soft skin. Well, when I got home and Soph started helping me to unpack the shopping, she picked it up and she said, what's this? And I said, soap, you asked for soap. And she said, since when have we used bars of soap? I meant that I wanted soap to wash our hands with in the bathroom. You normally get the one that's in a dispenser. To which I then pointed out, well, if you wanted that kind of soap, you should have written hand wash on the list. Somehow, this tiny little misunderstanding about what Soph had written on the board had led to this semi-full-blown argument about the specifics about soap. And to this day, if Soph wants me to get more soap for the bathroom, she specifically writes hand wash on the list just to avoid being misunderstood. It's just a little example, but my point is we can all be misunderstood from time to time. And the book of James has often been misunderstood, and especially some of the verses that we're going to be looking at today. People have read this passage and thought that James was saying one thing when he's actually saying something very different. James has often been accused of contradicting one of the key and consistent teachings of Paul in the New Testament, one that is central to the Christian faith, that we are saved by faith alone. And just to clarify, what we mean by this term saved is that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe that he is our Lord and Saviour and invite him into our lives, we are made right by God. Our sins are forgiven and we are saved from a life and eternity separated by God. And instead, we're invited into a full and eternal relationship with our Father in heaven. That's what it means to be saved. James has been accused of teaching that we're not saved by faith alone, but that we're actually saved by our works. That it's not a case of putting our faith in Jesus, but that we can earn it through the way that we live and the things that we do. But that's just not true, and it's not what James is saying in this passage. It's important for us to recognise from the start that James isn't teaching us how to be saved. He's teaching us about the nature of faith in those who are saved. His focus is not on works, but faith that works. James is trying to teach the believers in the churches he looks after what real faith looks like, how real faith acts and lives, and what real faith does. And the principles he teaches are still true for us today. So with that in mind, let's just dive back into the passage. James opens with a provocative question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? The unspoken but clearly implied answer is no. James says that faith, does not, faith that does not have works cannot save you. In verse 17, he goes a step further saying, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what does he mean by this? James is talking about faith as something that can be alive or dead. And the Bible is full of analogies and imagery from nature to describe what faith and our relationship with God looks like. It uses examples like 
faith as small as a mustard seed, or Jesus being described as the vine, us being described as the branches, and God being described as the gardener, or the spirit producing fruit within us, and so on. There are many more examples like this. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not much of a gardener. I dabble a bit in a bit of gardening, but I'm no expert. But during lockdown, I found a new hobby. I've been trying to grow some chilli peppers and other herbs and plants that I can use when I'm cooking. So I planted some leftover seeds from a chilli pepper in a small little pot and I left it on the windowsill and I've been watering it regularly and keeping an eye on it. Now Soph didn't believe that this was going to work, in fact she said that she didn't expect it to work. So I was quite smug when a tiny little green shoot started to appear. Now it's been a few weeks since I planted those seeds and there are more and more green shoots starting to appear and growing. These little signs of life. When something is alive, it grows and flourishes. But the opposite is also true. When something isn't alive, it doesn't grow. Imagine I had accidentally planted a pebble, thinking that it was a seed. Would it grow and bear fruit? No, of course not. It can't because it wasn't alive in the first place. It's not really a seed. And I think this is what James is getting at when he says that faith without works is dead. If this thing that we call faith doesn't produce works of obedience in us, then it's probably just a pebble. But if our faith is a real, living, breathing, active relationship with God, then it will inevitably grow, flourish and bear fruit. Like I said, James is provoking us to reflect on our faith, to examine it, to check that it's working. He's encouraging us to press in and ensure that our relationship with God is thriving. And to explain the difference between a faith that's working and a faith that doesn't work, he gives us a number of examples. So let's take a look. Firstly, at a faith that doesn't work. What are some of the signs of a faith that isn't fully alive? Let's look again at verses 14 to 16. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? In other words, James is saying, talking the talk without walking the walk is a sign of faith that isn't fully alive. He says, what's the point of you saying that you have faith if you don't do anything about it? Why profess to have faith in something if your actions don't follow suit? And he used this example of seeing someone in need and offering them some nice encouraging words, but actually doing nothing to help meet their practical needs. And he just says, what good is that? All you're doing is offering empty words. How does that help anyone? You know, you can have all the right theology and know all the right things to say. It's one thing to understand the truth that Jesus gave up his glorious riches in heaven to dwell among us and then lose his life to save us. But if we don't follow his example and respond to his call to pick up our crosses and love our neighbours, what good is that faith? What good is that theology? Something I read this week said, how you live how you live is what you believe. The rest is just talk. Ouch. I, I, I read that this week and it just nailed me to my core. How you live is what you believe. The rest is just talk. 
It's challenging, isn't it? But it's true. Are we living out of what we believe or are we just offering empty words? Ultimately, you can tell what a person truly believes by the way they live their life. Examining the way that we spend our time, our money, our talents tells us plenty about what we believe and what we value. In verse 19, James goes on to say, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And I think James is speaking with a hint of sarcasm here. Remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians. And did you know that they would have woken up every morning and declared, there is one God as part of their daily ritual. So he's saying, great, you know that there's one God. Well done. Big deal. So do the demons. And they quake in fear. You claim to believe there's one God, but it doesn't even cause you to bat an eyelid. The demons know that there's one God and they tremble, but they can't submit themselves to God and do what is right because they're rebellious by nature. You say that you have faith in God, but does it move you? Does it change you? If it doesn't, then it's not working. It's useless. The challenge from James here is you call yourself a Christian, but if someone were to look at your life and look at the way that you live your life, would they see evidence that you're a follower of Jesus? Dallas Willard, who was a Christian author and philosopher, said this, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. James is suggesting that the science of a faith that is not fully alive, that he would describe as dead, is one that doesn't change the way we live. Okay. So that's faith that doesn't work. That's, that's faith that's dead. And we don't want to live like that. Jesus has offered us something so much better. So now let's look at what James has to say about faith that's alive. James gives us two examples from scripture of people who had faith that works. First, he takes Abraham, the father of faith. In verse 21, Abraham, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. In these verses, James actually references two different points from Abraham's life. The first, in verse 21, comes from Genesis 22, when Abraham demonstrates his willingness to obey God's commands by, by preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac before being stopped by God at the very last moment. The second reference in verse 23 comes from Genesis 15, which took place 30 years earlier in Abraham's life, when he was declared righteous for the first time because of the faith that he had in God. What is the point that James is making here? Well, remember the analogy that I gave you about my chilli plants, about faith being something that grows and flourishes. James is using the example of Abraham here to paint a picture of a faith that had been planted long ago, grown and flourished into something strong. And when his faith was tested, Abraham trusted God to the point that he was willing to do anything that God asked him to do. Abraham's faith was fully alive, and this was evident from the way that he acted. James says in verse 22, 
you see that his faith was active along with his works. He's saying these two things go hand in hand. Faith and works work together. You can't separate them. So he gives this example through Abraham. But just in case his Jewish readers were thinking, well, that's the great Abraham. He's the father of our faith. How are we supposed to live up to him? James then uses a second example, Rahab. And he picks Rahab on purpose because she acts as a completely contrasting example to Abraham. She was a prostitute and she wasn't even Jewish. And she certainly wouldn't have been held in such high esteem as Abraham. Rahab appears in Joshua chapter 2 when the Jews sent spies into the city of Jericho. Rahab, who lived in Jericho, had heard about the God who had split the Red Sea and rescued the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. And she risked everything when she took in the spies to protect them because of the faith that she had in their God. And once again, James is pointing towards an active faith that can be seen through her choices and works. So what do these two have in common? They both had faith in God. They both listened to him and obeyed him. And a faith that is fully alive involves listening and obeying. And this links back to chapter 1, verse 22, where James says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. John Wimber, the founding pioneer of the vineyard movement, said, it's not just about being biblically literate. We also must become biblically obedient. Faith that works involves listening and obeying. So let's just take a moment to look at verse 24. This is the verse in James that has been the most misunderstood and caused the most confusion, controversy and debate. This is the soap versus hand wash verse in this passage. James says, you see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. On the face of it and out of context, it's easy to see how this verse appears to contradict the teaching that we are saved by faith alone. Salvation by faith alone is a teaching that the Apostle Paul went to great lengths in many of his letters to make clear. So what is James getting at here? We've got to remember that the whole point of James's letter is not to teach us how to be saved. James isn't questioning whether faith saves us. In fact, he agrees with Paul that we are saved by faith. What James is actually shining a light on is what saving faith really looks like. And he's saying that faith that saves should also change us. He's saying that real faith always produces fruit and good works. And this is perfectly in line with Paul's teaching. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, it's not following the law that saves you. It's not all the religious stuff. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Or as the ESV puts it, faith working through love. And in, the, and in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, we are saved by faith to do good works. If you think back to the analogy of putting our faith in God as being like the seed that was planted within us, Faith is the root and works are the fruit. I'll say that again. Faith is the root and works are the fruit. In John 15 verse 8, Jesus says, 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Real faith in God brings salvation, and then it brings transformation. When we have real faith, we can't help but be changed. Real faith brings transformation within us as we grow to become more like Jesus. And it brings transformation through us as to the world around us as we learn to love our neighbours and do what Jesus did. Real faith works in us and real faith works through us. So what does this mean for us? I believe one of the things that God is encouraging us into in this difficult time is to come closer to him. You know, Abraham was described as a friend of God. It speaks of a closeness. Now, of course, God always wants us to draw near to him. That never changes. But I believe that if we're to come out of this crisis stronger, then the invitation is for us to have a deeper relationship with God, a greater understanding of his ways, and a more mature expression of real faith in our lives. This is what James is getting at. He's asking the question, does what you believe about God, about who God is, actually, in a real way, pour itself into the choices you're making on a day-to-day -day basis in the habits that you've formed and in your character? I asked you at the beginning, how is your faith? Does your faith feel fully alive or does it feel like you're just going through the motions at the moment? And my encouragement to you is to spend some time reflecting on these questions. As you examine your faith, you might want to ask yourself things like, who am I becoming? How am I being transformed? Is my faith expressing itself through works of love? We should allow this book to challenge us and stir us to examine our hearts and our faith. As I've been preparing this talk, I've been really challenged to examine my own faith. And to be completely honest with you, it's not been easy. You know, some parts of my faith look a bit tired and withered, but, I want, but what I want to say to you is that it's good to be challenged in order that we can grow and flourish once again. Otherwise, we run the risk of drying up and growing stagnant in our faith. When we see something in our faith that isn't alive and isn't bearing fruit, we don't need to give up. We don't need to believe the lie that we're not good enough. We simply need to come to God and bring that thing before him. Invite him to come and resurrect our faith. Invite him as the gardener to come and prune what's dead to create room for real faith to be birthed and to grow. He's inviting us to take hold of our faith with both hands and follow Jesus fully. James is reminding us not to settle because it's only through following Jesus that we can grow in our faith. In John 15, Jesus describes himself as the vine and us as the branches. He invites us to remain in him, or in other words, to abide in him, to stay connected to him so that we can grow. So if you've listened to this today and you're thinking, you know what, my faith's okay, but maybe I am a bit stagnant. I'm not sure if I'm growing, I just don't feel like I'm being transformed. The invitation is to spend more time with Jesus. That's the best thing we can do, to abide in him. Because when we're connected to Jesus, when we're listening and obeying, when we're growing and flourishing, it brings transformation within us. James teaches us that faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's good for nothing. But real faith has the power to bring transformation within us and to those around us. So let's not settle for a faith that's, that isn't fully alive. 
Let's go after real faith that works in us and works through us. We're going to go into a time of worship now. But before we do, why don't we just take a moment? Why don't you just take a moment to open yourself up to the Lord? Just encourage you, you might want to just reflect on some of the things that um, God has been revealing to you whilst I've, whilst I've spoken. So God, I just thank you for the truth that is found in this passage. And I invite you now, come Holy Spirit. Come and help us examine our hearts. Come and help us examine our faith. Lord, we want to be people of a real faith. I just felt as I was preparing this talk that there would be a number of people who are listening, a number of you who are listening, who you know that you haven't taken that step of saying yes to Jesus and choosing to believe and follow him. But right now, if there's just that desire within you to respond to him, perhaps for the first time, I just encourage you now to invite him in. Just invite him with a simple prayer. God, will you plant that seed of faith within my heart? I also just felt that there would be some people, um, some of you who you feel distant from God right now. As I've been talking about a faith that grows and flourishes within us, perhaps you're just filled with a bit of sadness. Maybe it feels like at one time your faith was really flourishing, but right now it does feel a bit scorched and withered. Maybe some of um, life has just taken its toll on your faith and it, maybe it doesn't feel like it's producing much fruit. I just want to pray over you that you wouldn't feel discouraged and disheartened, but that God would meet you in this moment that he would meet you as we go into a time of worship, that he would replenish your soul and lift your faith. So God, I thank you for this faith that has the power to save us. And I pray that it would continue to be at work in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can tune into our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church. And now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website, cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.